With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. come from a land down under where women go and men chunder can you hear the thunder you better run, you better take cover. Ladies and gentlemen we're floating in stream of Celica. my name's Kevin Graham and as usual on a Tuesday night I'm joined by Boise Boise how are you getting on? I'm good mate, a wee week off last week but I'm back with a vengeance this week. Back with a vengeance that that, that Men and Work song's been going through my head for a couple of weeks man. I can't even (laughs) lie I don't know, I don't know why, eh? And see, when I was when I was planning on doing it today, I had to make sure it was culturally appropriate. I had to make sure the Australians liked it before oh, I that's because I thought it might have, might have offended some of them. But similarly, they play at big sporting events and that, eh? And similarly, oh, really? Olymp- oh, similarly their Olympic team eh, sung it and all that, eh? So it's quite big men at work for their, I would call them a one-hit wonder 
It is a tune, though. 82. It's a, it's a, it's a funny tune, actually. It is quite like a funny tune. That begs my question. Have you ever chundered? I don't know, Ken, what, what does chundered mean? <laughs> I've never chundered or had a Vegemite sandwich in my life, Kev. I've got to be honest to you. <laughs> um, I don't know where that line comes from. It says, she just smiled and gave me a Vegemite sandwich. <laughs> I thought, I don't know if I'd be grateful for that or no. I don't know, Ken. I haven't eaten Vegemite. Is it like, well, it's a bit like Marmite? I don't know. I don't know. Well, the, first, the first line of that song is about him basically getting stoned in a VW van and driving across Europe. Now that's, <laughs> that's, it's, got, it's got a load of happy connotations in it when I was reading about the lyrics because I was trying to find out what chunder was. Maybe any, Australian, maybe any Australians can come on and tell me what chunder is. Um, then it would be great because if, I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. I mean, I mean, if you were thinking about if you were thinking about chunder, you automatically think about passing one, don't you? Uh, a woman going men chunder, but I don't know. Right, an Australian. So any any Aussies out there coming and let me know because we're all ready and we'll, we'll, we'll all want to welcome the Aussie Elsa. Well, I'm a big fan of the show, as I've said before, Shawnee Sherman, who watches. He covers it a lot when he plays his acoustic gigs. So I've got a feeling he usually watches the show a bit later, not live. I think we'll check the comments. I think he might come in. Malone, Kenny, one, and Zinko come up. It means to spew. It means to, it means to be sick. So there you go. There's no Oh, and they chunder. And men chunder. There you go, Maybe, that woman, maybe, maybe Australian women can handle their drink better than the men. Maybe that's what they're trying to say. And may well be. But may well be. A DeLorean's a way back to 1988 this, this time, Russell. What age were you? In I knew that was the <laughs> So at Euro 88, I still hadn't even turned one. Wow. So I was wow. born and I know, because I know. So I was... I was November 87 I was born. So I was even one year. Oh, wow. You thought, just... we were, you thought we were on a wavelength for a while, Kev, didn't you? No, no, that's fine. <laughs> it just means I've got a younger heat on my old body. <laughs> <laughs> I had just started high school. I had just started that's high school when this, when this tournament. Well, I was going into high school. What's up? What are we going into high school? No, I was going into second year in, in this tournament, eh? Um, what I remember about this tournament, I mean, it's, it's 1988. It's two weeks for, it's a couple of weeks after we've won the centenary double, Russell, right? Yeah. And that Celtic team is still my Celtic team. If somebody says, what's the Celtic team that made you fall mm. with Celtic? Right, even though, I've, even though I was at Love Street, even though I was at the 85 Cup final, as well, and I was at Love Street in 86, this Celtic team made me believe that Celtic was a fairy tale. Centenary season, uh, centenary season, you won the double. With like Billy McNeil in charge. Yeah. We're basically a team full of Celtic fans. I know. <laughs> and, and which is quite a... It's probably the last homegrown team that's... Uh, that's one the double, I would think, because oh, when you move on in the nineties, you've got Van Hooydonk, can we start signing foreign players that are coming in? So this is virtually the last, I would say, homegrown side full of Celtic fans that won the double. So as usual, Scotland 
didn't qualify for this tournament. What I remember about eighty eight as well, it was hot. It was really, really hot in eighty eight. And that always seems that I really do think your mind plays plays tricks on you when you actually mm-hmm. think back that summer's gone by. Also, eighty eight, as I say, I was in just going into second year of high school, eh? It was like gala days, fighting at gala days and escort mm-hmm. police cars and folk just getting chased about the place and like mm-hmm. fight, fighting at the shows. <laughs> that's, 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 that's what 88 sort of reminds me. And so we've gone to the U. Well, Ireland are going to the Euros after putting out Scotland in the qualification group. So Scotland and the Republic Ireland were in Group 7, uh, along with Belgium, Bulgaria, Luxembourg, and Scotland. And it went down to the last game. Scotland were out. Scotland had a horrendous start after they to try and qualify for this tournament. Yeah. So, so Bulgaria are playing Scotland in the last game, and and Sofia Helmut Kohl is a referee in that game. A famous name by the time you get to the Champions League in, right. in, the, in the early nineties. So the Republic Ireland have got eleven points. Bulgaria have got ten points. They've got a gimme. They've got a home game against Scotland in the last game. Mm-hmm. 45,000 there like army all round about the park going to Eastern Europe at that time was really intimidating I, I'll say anybody watch YouTube footage of any games for the Eastern Bloc and it's all just whistles and like soldiers mm-hmm. all round about the pitch and that is very very intimidating aye Scotland just go and beat them one none Gary Mackay scores in the 86th minute that's to send, right to send Ireland into the Euros Gary Mackay Jack Charlton apparently right so I watched it obviously doing my homework and all that kept. so apparently Jack Charlton instead of watching the game just went out fishing because he says whatever's whatever isn't in my hands will still not be in my hands <laughs> and whether I watch the game or not so he just Aye. went fishing instead I quite like that attitude that's a great I attitude it. I can't help it I can't change anything now so there's a brilliant uh, the Jack Charlton documentary which we will talk about when we're actually going through this. There's a great hang on Irish telly. Some of the commenters have just come in and says, the Scotland game was live on Irish TV that night. Wow. So, uh, there's the Jack Charlton Charlton documentary being Jack, you actually see the Irish Irish, uh, commentator who had wrote notes doing me a couple of minutes to go, to saying, oh, we didn't qualify, but it was good and we can look forward to the World Cup qualifying, eh? And he crunches it up on air and throws it away and says, well, I didn't need that because <laughs> they qualify, eh? Um, and it's brilliant. This is this is Ireland's first ever tournament. And Jack Charlton, as we all know, Jack Charlton applied for the England job and never got a, and never got a reply. Right, so, okay. as the football gods would have it, their first game, who did they get to play? They get drawn in a group with England. And their first game ever at a major yep. tournament is against England. At Scotland, well, the Celtic diaspora in Scotland caught the bug for this tournament. Eh? And this, for me, is the first time I really remember the Republic of Ireland being a thing with guys my age being Celtic fans. And, right, okay. and and you've watched the highlights yourself and the cracking Republic of Ireland top that they had all yes. started appearing all in Scotland. Right, okay. So, I, I'm, again, this is maybe my mind playing tricks on me, Russell, but this is the first time I can remember guys running about Rep- Republic of Ireland tops at Celtic games and 
during that summer. And it was all because we were supporting the Republic of Ireland in that tournament. I get it. Mainly because three Celtic players were in the Republic squad. Class. Big goalie, Pat Bonner. Chris Morris, who was a Cornishman who signed for Celtic in that centenary season. And Mick McCarthy was also. So we had a Celtic interest. And also at that time, you had a Rangers interest in England because they had signed Terry Butcher, Chris Woods, Graham Roberts. And in the in the Rangers squad in the in the England squad for that tournament, you also had future England players and Gary Stevens, Trevor Stevens, Mark Hately, and you also had a future Celtic manager in John Barnes. In uh, 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 that England squad, so I was surprised when I had a look at the England squad, and I, actually only Chris Woods was the only Rangers player in that England squad, which yeah, which yeah. I found quite surprising. Big Butcher wasn't in it. He was missing uh, the way. Yeah, he, he was missing. But I, I, I if, again, my England, uh, my my brain, like playing tricks on me. I was like, I thought there were more Rangers players than that. Because I remember England, as I was talking about Ireland talks becoming a hang. I then remember England talks becoming a hang as well. Mm. It, it just seemed to be that sort of change at hand. The, what, what, I can you were only one at the time, but your dad would have told you about Chris and Big Mac and all of that. What, what, what does your dad remember about this? And what, what do you remember about these Celtic players? Well, I remember when I met McCarthy, I think he was in charge of the World Cup squad 2002, well, he was. And I always oh. remember the keen fallout and my dad going, one guy you wouldn't get wide with, he goes, not even him, would be Mick McCarthy. That is generally, he goes, no. <laughs> he goes, you'll no suffer Roy Keane or anyone. I always remember because it was like, I'm sure it was headline news when Roy Keane got flung off the the Irish squad. Remember, like, in, in Saipan, I'm sure it was a... Uh, it was literally the headline on BBC News, do you know what I mean? Like the main oh, story. And mm-hmm. uh, I always, I remember my dad saying then, Big Mick will not put up with uh, anyone, Roy Keane or not Roy Keane. I always remember that. So I always had it in my head that he was a sort of no-nonsense centre-half. But when you go through it, I recognise quite a few of the players. John McGrath obviously has had a very well-documented career and, and obviously Paul John Dykes was talking just last week of what could have been with him and Paul Elliott perhaps as a, centre-half pairing. I heard him telling JP and Declan that last Thursday. No, they've been, um, been fun. Oh, wow. I mean, wow, I had no idea that it was as, it came as close as what, what they were alluding to on Thursday. Um, the interesting one for me was Chris Hutton in midfield. And I read a wee bit about saying he was a dynamic, sort of tidy little midfielder. And I thought, that's funny, because I've, I've just never, I've never associated Chris Hutton with, with Ireland before, even though I did actually know that he, he, he had Irish in his nationality. I never actually associated him playing with the national team. So that one raised an eyebrow. More familiar was obviously John Aldridge up front. Mm-hmm. Recognised that name. And then shooting, if I'm not mistaken, the reason he's familiar with me is because I'm sure it was uh, Houghton, sorry, uh, Ray Houghton. The reason he's familiar with me is because I'm sure he scored the goal against Italy as well, did he not, in '94? He scored the goal against Italy in 94. And he did the forward role celebration. And that was like my first game of the 94 World Cup where football was all beginning to sort of join the dots in my life. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was it was all coming together. The bug was happening. And that game, I can't remember much about it, but I always remember he hit the shot and it kind of went central in the net and then he did a forward role. So when I watched the highlights of this said game back, 
you can imagine my surprise that again it was the same guy, Ray Houghton, who's got the uh, who's got, scored the, the only goal in a one 0 win of a huge magnitude. Again, I thought ah, that's funny. I mean, obviously, he's as Scottish as they come. I know. <laughs> I know. And at that time, um, he was playing for Liverpool, so was John Aldridge. Yep. A couple of other names that jumped out at me, that Irish squad that I really liked at the time, was Kevin Sheedy. I love Kevin Sheedy at Everton. I really, and I've, I've got a bit of a soft spot for that the Howard Kendall Everton side. I really do. And I always remember the Everton fans had, had the, the banner. And the 1985 Cup Winners' Cup final, it should have been Celtic when they played Rapid Vienna. So I've always had a wee soft spot for Everton. Uh, Someone told me that Kevin Sheedy was one of the best players ever. And I can't remember who it was. Someone told me, and they were like, who was it? I don't know if it was someone in Axon or if it was someone at the pub, but they knew what they were talking about and they were going, you need my, my mate Martin Cooper, who you know. Mm-hmm. It was him who was telling me all about was a phenomenal player, world class. Left foot, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, Martin Cooper was like, you need to watch his best bits on YouTube one night. So I did. And, and he was fantastic. So, aye, interesting. Another player that jumped out for me is John Sheridan. And John Sheridan was just one of these wee players. He was at Leeds United at this point, but he made his right. name. He made his name at Sheffield Wednesday later on. Right. Sheffield Wednesday got to a couple of cup finals, and we Sheridan was their main man with Chris Waddle. Right. Strangely enough, and I always liked John Sheridan. He was a wee pocket rocket man. I, I, I love John Sheridan. So th- there was a lot of interest going into this team for somebody like me who was twelve mm-hmm. at the time. Really, really interested. Oh, we've, we've got a Celtic hang we? We've got a. Uh, you can dream up an anti Rangers, anti English Hingway, because they've got a lot. They've got a lot of uh, English players and like and Chris Woods in the squad. But you've got three Celtic players in the squad. You've got you've got Ray Houghton, who's who's Scottish. John Aldridge, who's one of the main goal scorers in Liverpool at this at this point. Yes. So if you're a football fanatic, you love this Irish side, and they had a charismatic big like. Manager and Jack Charlton, who just didn't give a monkeys, man. He's <laughs> what he done. So they go. This is their opening game in Stuttgart, and what, what's really funny about the opening game in Stuttgart when you watch the documentaries and the stuff on YouTube about it, the players say when they were walking into the, when they were walking into the stadium, they could feel that there was something going to happen. He says the Irish fans were utterly class in, in the stadium. They were all singing. The atmosphere was mm-hmm. was great. And there's a, a great bit of footage where I think it's Morris Setter who was the kit man coming into the stadium and he's getting he's getting the bags out and he shouts to the Irish fans, "We're going to do them the day for you." Yes, <laughs> I've seen that. Is that who he was, the kit man? I think he was a kit man. Somebody might. Right. Come I wonder sure who he was. was. Hey, I'm sure he, he was had the grey hair. Yeah, and he t- he's, t- he's coming at the, the tunnel and he's just trying to point. Exactly. Ah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you, you had the Irish. The Irish were bringing the party to that, to that tournament, eh? Uh, the Irish were bringing the party to that tournament and the English fans were fighting up and down Germany, as was their, well, as was their, as was their one in the mid-80s, early, early 80s. Somebody came in and says it was Mick Bryan as the kit man. That wasn't him. I thought it was Morris Setter. I might be wrong there, so it might have been Mick Bryan, Mick Byrne. 
I'll, I'll better get my Irish pronunciation right. Mick Burrow. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it's, it's, it's a it's a fantastic bit of footage. It's a, it's a great it's a great bit of footage. I mean, the English fans are, are rampaging around about Germany at this point, and the Irish fans are bringing yeah. the party. Have you ever watched the original? That, that just reminds me about the English fans. The original fun was about a. Uh, this week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. The English firm getting a firm to go to Germany in 1988. Have you seen the original firm, the firm? Well, it's got Gary Oldman in it. So it's got oh, this uh, it's got Gary Oldman in this. I think it was a BBC production called The Firm, and it was remade quite recently, I think, maybe in the last mm-hmm. ten years. And basically the, the football hooligans that Gary Oldman portrays are all yuppies. They've all got the suits and all of that on. And did you ever watch Coronation Street with Big Jim, uh, Big Jim, Big Jim Irish Aye, Jim McDonald. Jim McDonald, he's, that's it, aye. He, he, he's one of the hooligans in it. He, he's, right, one the, okay. he's one of the hooligans in it. And there was a, there was a wee guy in it called Benny. Uh, and Benny turns up for this meet with a half West Ham, half Celtic hat, ski hat, <laughs> right? And... Um, it, he ends up getting slashed. You should watch it, just because it's got Gary Oldman in it. <laughs> because it's got Gary Oldman. And anyway, at the end of it, we Benny, uh, there's, a, there's a T-shirt done by a T-shirt company called CS, CST Terrace Tees. And they've got we Benny with, a, with a, the Celtics, the Celtic uh, hat on. And he's gone, right at the end of it, he's gone, we do it anywhere, we'll do it in Europe and we'll do it this and that. It's a great great T-shirt. Check out their T-shirts. Their T-shirts are fantastic as well. But that's that's what I remember about the fun, Gary Oldman and wee Benny with a Celtic hat on it. Anyway, back to this game. I just went off on a tangent there about 1980s films. Um, Eight minutes in, the, the... there's a long ball for the back. This is a such a typical Irish goal. It's absolutely scrappy as anything. And there's oh, a, and, a, and it's absolute, it's absolute chaos. So there's a long ball for the back. Actually, I think it's Mick McCarthy horses the ball up the, up the park. Rory Ga- Galvin eh, eh, causes havoc on the right-hand side and whips a ball in there. Kenny well, Sam's... <laughs> well, he fires a ball into there, eh? <laughs> Flips a ball in. That is the kindest commentary ever. He, he just swings a boot at it and it goes in the box. That's the way I see it anyway. Just a hoik, you know what I mean? Kenny Sampson then slices a clearance back up in there. <laughs> That's right. Um, I, I see that it's either John Aldridge or Frank Stapleton jumps and yep. headers the ball back, back to Ray Houghton. So Ray Houghton's there, he's about maybe 12 yards out. And Peter Shilton is in no man's land. Peter Shilton, who's still got a face on him after being outjumped by a midget called Diego Maradona two years before. <laughs> and Houghton whoops a header across him into the back of the net. And 
the Irish fans go utterly ballistic. Jack Charlton goes utterly ballistic. And what I love, what I love that. What I loved about this was when it pans onto the Irish fans, it's the amount of hoops that you actually see in the Irish end mm-hmm. uh, going absolutely mental. And you see John Aldridge going mental, you see Ray Houghton going mental, you see Stapleton going absolutely ballistic. Their first ever goal in, in a major tournament is against England, and it scored by a Scotsman. Well, oh, a born yeah. Scotland, uh, uh, Scotsman. What did you think of the goal? As you say, it's one of the most bizarre, it's a Sunday league goal, eh? As me, it's in the park stuff. But at the end of the day, I think, like you said, it's creating confusion as well. You know, a lot of these English players are probably elite players that are used to playing prettier football in their domestic league at the top level. Sometimes, you know, it's very much like Martin O'Neill in the Champions League, you know. All these teams like to play slick on the deck. And whilst we could play a bit of football, sometimes they'll hoof up the park and get some bodies in the box and just cause anarchy. It sometimes just works, Kevin. I mean, at the end of this game, you, you can you, you actually at the end of this game, all the Irish players go, "I we worked hard, we were knackered, we were when they brung on Glenn Hoddle with eight minutes left, we, we, wanted, we wanted to kill him." We just, they were absolutely, it was a workmanlike side. But when you yeah. actually go through the side, there's a lot of talent in this side. So mm-hmm. in goals, you've got Pat Bonner, uh, right back is. Chris Morris, who had a great season for Celtic that season, where Billy McNeil managed to pick up. I mean, Chris Morris came for Sheffield Wednesday. Right. And it was one of Billy McNeil's first signings when Big okay. Billy came back up uh, to managers for the centenary season. And Chris Morris had a fantastic season. It was almost okay. as if the, the footballing god says, right, you're going to have a fairy tale season. This is going to be your best season ever. He never quite reached the heights after that. Uh, but none of that Celtic team reached the heights after that centenary right. season. It was one of the things. I mean, you joined Celtic thinking I'll maybe get a couple of games and you end up going to a European Championship at the end of that season, winning a double in Celtic's centenary right. season. Eh? That, is a, that is your perfect season. You've got Mick McCarthy, then Kevin Moran, then you had Chris Houghton, who was playing left-back that day against England. Mm-hmm. Ray Houghton on the right-hand side of midfield. Now, mm-hmm. you mentioned Paul McGrath. Paul McGrath's played in the centre of midfield for Ireland that day. He would have been young there, eh? He was 28. He was 28-year-old. What, there? Aye, he was 28 and 88. No, he couldn't have been. He was. He was his late 20s anyway. Somebody will Google it for us. But uh, what... Uh, the documentary being Jack Charlton, you actually see a note that Jack Charlton writes about Paul McGrath, good on the ball, this and that, could play in midfield. And now he never played in midfield for Man United, he never played in midfield for Aston Villa, but Jack Charlton played him in the midfield for the Republic of Ireland and he was superb yeah. this game. Alongside him was uh, Ronnie Whelan, another player at Celtic. Could oh, have yeah, seen. yeah, yeah. Another player player that Celtic could have signed in the early 80s. I'm sure producer Paul will come in and tell us there is a story about that. On the left wing was uh, Ronnie Galvin. Then up front you had John Aldridge and Frank Stapleton. That is not a bad side. There's a lot of football players in that side that want want to know what jumps out of me in that side is the character. All of these players are men. All of these players are utterly men and they know that they would give you a shift. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. I watched Jack Charlton talking about the style of football that they played. This is from that time. 
Um, and he said that basically, he says, you know, you look across Europe, he goes, and they play all this. Uh, what is it? He said, it wasn't tippy-tappy, but what's to that effect? Football where they take half an hour and the ball each of them, it's all slow. He goes, the English Premier League, he says, the most competitive league in the world. That's where most of my players from, and we played fast, direct football. He goes, see if my team played like, he goes, these European sides, we'd all look like world, uh, world beaters as well. He goes, the fact is we choose to get the ball forward quicker. He goes, but we could look, we could pose about with the ball and look like all of them as well if you wanted us to. But that's mm-hmm. not how we play. And no. I thought, fair dude, that makes sense. It was an up and at him style. Somebody's telling me it's Tony Galvin. I knew I was saying it was Ronnie, and that's just my Celtic kid coming in there. I was saying it was, it was Tony Galvin. Um, aye, as Roy Croppy comes in, a team full of leaders. That was a team full of re- leaders. Yeah. And it was a team that, like, there was a spirit about that side. An absolute spirit about that side. And you see them at the final whistle and every one of them's absolutely knackered. Every one of them have gave have gave their all in that game. Yeah. I mean, it's I'll go back I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the here's a comment here. Somebody says that was a missing Mark Lawrenson and also Liam Brady. Mark Lawrenson and Liam Brady, I'm Liam sure, Brady, were injured and didn't they make that tournament. Liam Brady, wow. Liam Brady. Mark Lawrenson was a player as well. Mark Lawrenson. I don't know much about him, but I've watched a lot of Liam Brady's clips, and yeah, he looked one heck of a player. Uh, Brady was a Brady was a fantastic player. I'm going to tell a story about when Brady was a manager of Celtic, and Mm -hmm. he used to play the reserve games, and. Obviously, I'm for Stirling, and there was one night Celtic reserves were playing Stirling Albion reserves, and we went along in old Anfield, as it was at that point, mm-hmm. uh, and Brady was the best player on the pitch by a week. It's, a, it's actually quite weird. The number of folk that, were say, that says that were at, at, at the game that night, there must have been 20,000 inside Anfield, the amount of folk I've spoke to that says they're in, at Anfield. <laughs> there was not There was only a couple of hundred there, right? But it, it's got this, like... The Sex Pistols at the Manchester Free Trade Hall. Everybody was there and saw Liam Brady that night. <laughs> but it was utterly fantastic. My, my dad went, went went that night and he said, I just want to go and see Liam Brady play football. And yeah. Brady Brady was utterly fantastic. Matt Lawrenson was a, was a fantastic player as well. You knew have a look at him. Uh, you, you knew have a look at Lawrenson on the telly and he's like an old grumpy old man that everything rubbish and that when that happened in my day I kind of let him off with it because he was a world class defender he was, was he? he was a world class defender was Matt Lawrence yeah, I've, never, I've never really ever seen any footage of him playing football Matt Lawrence anybody that played for Liverpool in the, yeah. in the 80s was a world class player anybody apart Fair. from maybe Gary Gillespie but he he was he was late eighties he was late eighties but the early eighties when Liverpool were were conquering Europe you had to be a world class player to get into that yeah. team. Alan Hansen was a world class player. Steve Nichol mm-hmm. was a world class player. Doug Leash best player on the planet. <laughs> I mean at that point that Liverpool team was something else. And that mm-hmm. when I'll go, and I go back to the Everton team in eighty five that Everton team was just as good. I always say if Heisel hadn't happened and uh, and the uh, the English teams hadn't got barred for Europe. That Everton team could have won that European Cup. That Everton team were just as good. I'll recommend wow. anybody watch uh, Howard's Way, the documentary about Howard Kendall's uh, Everton team. 
they, they were utterly a fantastic side with big Graham Sharp up front, a big Scotsman. Um, they, they were just as good a side. So even though this Ireland team was full of leaders, they also had football players. Even though they played mm. a direct style of play, they also had they also had football players. But they had to hang 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 on in this game. They mm. really did. They really did have to hang on in this game, and they've got big Pat Bonner to thank for actually getting away with a result. Bonner, he makes a, a safety linacre in the second half. England didn't really do much to about the last half hour of the game, and Ireland, mm-hmm. starts, Ireland starts sitting deeper and deeper because that was Jack's Charlton. Charlton. That, that, that was Jack's Charlton. Hang so we've got a goal now. You come and try and get that goal off us. Yeah, and, You see that so often as well, KV, don't you? As a game goes on and, you're, and, and maybe... You know, for want of a better term, the underdog gets a lead that they end up sitting. I always feel like sometimes I know it's worked in this instance, but you don't find sometimes teams just like the reason you're ahead is because your game plan was working. Then mm-hmm. you change it, and sometimes I feel that the underdog you watch them, the deeper they sit, the more they invite pressure on, the more chances they give away, the higher the chance, the higher the percentage is that they're going to concede one. I find that that happens quite a lot. Mm-hmm. It does, especially in especially in international football. International yep. football, where sometimes you're maybe your international side, like only maybe has one or two quality players. They set up defensively and go right. We'll try and nick on a. We'll try and nick a goal on the break. And once we go one nothing up, then we'll, we'll sit yep. back on it. Scotland are going to be the exact same in this Euros because even though we've got some decent players, we're going to come up against better players. We are yeah. going to come up against better players and we've got a game plan. But when you look at how many chances we missed against Luxembourg at the weekend there, you're going to say you're only going to get one or two chances against the Czech Republic, Croatia and England and you've got to take one of them. You take one of them and you've got a chance of hanging on. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what the Irish done. The Irish were very, very good at going one nothing up and hanging on to it. Yeah. Um, some, uh, I can't uh, uh, Sean Curran uh, comes in. Thanks for commenting, Sean. Wasn't Kendall, the, wasn't Kendall the last Englishman to win their top league? So Howard Kendall, Everton last won a title in 86. And was that no. the last English manager to win the English Premier League? The top no, Howard Wilkinson. Wilkinson would have been, I Wilkinson would have been... Uh, Sorry, Wilkinson. Sean, mate. <laughs> no, 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 it's a good question, but that's still early 90s. Mm. The year before Sky, the year yeah. before football was born, according to Sky, which was mm. 1992. Um, so, Big Bonner, he saves to Gary Lineker. Now, Gary Lineker was one of the world's top strikers at this point. Yep. Uh, it's a great save down at, down at his near post. Uh, yes. He, he saves a long shot for Brian Robson. Brian Robson, another world-class player. A, 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 another fantastic player as well for England. Uh, and Man United, obviously Man United. Another one that him and McGrath seemingly liked a bevy the gallery. But Robson was a bit of a... a like, like a tipple. Like a lot, of the, a lot of the Irish team liked a tipple as well when, nice. when you look at some of the footage. Um when you're getting into the last 10 minutes, Big Mick McCarthy is like big rock on, rock all at the back. He was never going to fall to the English. 
He was, he was clearing everything. He was putting his head in everything. He was yeah. booting everything. He was kicking everything. He was absolutely immense. Mm-hmm. It was Big Mick McCarthy. Then I think Bonner's may stand at moment as a goal, as he save a couple of minutes. I think it was in the last minute, Winnaker's through one-on-one with him after a great flick through by John Barnes. Yes. And, and it's a great save. It's a great one-on-one it's a great one-on-one save, especially at that time of the game. I mean, if they equalise there, how sick would the Irish be uh, to actually lose the, the, the two points? Because it was two points for a win at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, eh? And the Irish won, and they go absolutely mental at, like, at full time. And I remember it as well. I remember all my pals and all that the following day when we were all, when we were all like... Uh, <laughs> when we were all out playing football because the schools were just about to go on holiday that time. But we're all, we're all in Republic Ireland. We all loved it and it was, it was fantastic. What did you think looking back at the footage? What, 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 did, you, what did you think looking back at the footage? It was, it was interesting because obviously the goal seemed quite scrappy, but the footage I've seen, it was just first and foremost thing that struck me the most was the colour. I, I don't mean of the picture, I mean of the fans, eh? What a scene that they set, what a racket they made. And then, of course, it pans when they're celebrating, pans over uh, uh, to the English supporters and just all the heads down and, you know, all the all the noise they've made in the streets and all that nonsense, you know, in the lead-up to it and all the hooliganism, whatever you want to call it. And then there's their comeuppance. So that was the first thing that struck me. The second thing that was, was just the total passion from the bench, from Ireland's bench, as well as then the reaction of the players, like just again, we were talking about it about Fran Alonso with the women's team and stuff. That just that total unity, you can tell that this is a a squad and a team that are just completely transfused, Kev, in the, in the moment. Do you know what I mean? They are very much together. Mm. Um, as for the football quality, the highlights, I'll be honest, were quite minimal on YouTube. Um, if you actually look for in depth highlights, there's not much. What I did notice though was there was a outstanding dip volley by um, I think who it was in the midfield. Was it I Whelan? Think it was Whelan. It was Ronnie Whelan. I. It was Ronnie Whelan. I'm sure it was, and he hits this beautiful dip and volley that could have went in. It hits the it hits the crossbar. So, for as much as Ireland are maybe under the cost setting tap, it looked to me like, you know, whilst England had the one on ones and stuff, you know, Ireland still came close to doubling the lead with, you know, a world day of a thing. You know, what I mean, that so was a great like, I think it was one of those games that. I think England was shell-shocked. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I switched to Boost Mobile and got a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Want to know the best part? Uh, it was free? Nope. The fact that it's on America's largest 5G networks? Nope. It's the ding. Oh, yeah. Love the ding. Right? It's all about the ding. It's the dingarooski, the dingarona, the ring-a-ding-ding. Unleash your power to save with Boost. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone when you switch. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. And the ding. Limited time offer. New customers only. Available on select networks. 5G not available everywhere. One device per line. Tax excluded. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details. By the nature of the early lead that Ireland took, and I think they only got to grips too little too late. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of comments coming in. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Pat Bonner, then I'll go and talk about Mick McCarthy. And this is one of the things about Pat Bonner. And but Pat is remembered a lot for me and my eyes. He's remembered for a lot more what he'd done for the Republic of Ireland than what he's actually done for Celtic. Yeah. And he, play, he played over 600 games for Celtic. He was Jockstein's last signing for Celtic. And mm-hmm. I was saying, I was saying to you before we came on on air. I mean, I watched Celtic during the eighties. I watched Celtic when big, when Pat came back in that. I cannot ever remember him saving us in a game like he saved the Republic of Ireland that game. Mm. And, that I can't, and I don't know again whether that's my mind playing tricks on me. Uh, I always thought Bonner was one of our weak, weak links, but then he plays six hundred games under, under a number of managers. He can't be a weak link, but I can. I remember when I was watching the highlights back on this game, I can remember the feeling of tension as, as England panned it on and feeling so proud of Big Pat saving it. Oh, that's a Celtic goalie, boys. That's a Celtic goalie. And, and on, the, on a European stage, saving it. And I sometimes, even when you see uh, Pat now, I think he's a lot more revered in Ireland for his heroics with the Irish the Irish national team than he maybe is with the Celtic support. I get you. I get what you mean. Did you say he had two spells though, Pat Bonner? Yeah, well, yes. He left for about a couple of weeks and came back. That's he, what I, I was going to say. I didn't realize. I didn't think he played for anyone else. Lou McCary let him go. Then he then he went to then he was meant to be signing for Kilmarnock. Then Tommy Burns moved to Celtic and he moved back to Celtic. Right, got there. Yeah, so, so, so there is two. There is two spells. Because I mean that shows you as well. I mean the longevity of, of Bonner as well. Because I mean I remember having I used to put like if I had a double of a sticker in the old. Um, Oh, good fact there. I like that. Bono was the USA 94. Cool. So I remember like um, the Panini books used to get. So if I had a double sticker, like, do you know what I mean? And I didn't really do it to swap my pals at the school or that. I was just like all about just trying to fill this silly book by begging like mum and dad on the paperwork on a Sunday. Do you know what I mean? Get me as many packs as they could they could with their change. You know what I mean? But like if I had a double, I'd always just put it on my door. Now, my door, my bedroom door, but they probably had to just replace the door eventually. Do you know what I mean? It was a state. I always remember Packy Bonner being one of them. Um, and uh, he was uh, he was in a yellow umbro top with like black sort of... Yes. A black sort of design. And I always remember thinking he was like 100 years old then. Do you know what I mean? And that, that must have been... 95, 96, 96, uh, would, have, would, have been, would have been 95. I mean, he got a cup winner's medal in 1995 for Celtic. He played in goals for Celtic in 1995 in that cup final. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. top that you're talking about was that cup final top. Yeah. Um, so, as you say, I mean, he signed for Celtic in 1978. Yeah, because you just said Steen's last signing. That's what I'm saying. Steen's last signing. I've got a sticker of him on my door. Yes. Like, that's mad, isn't it? And, and yeah, all- you're right. You don't get that longevity. And also... Yeah, sorry, go on. And also, the back pass rule came in. So in the early 90s, you you watch games of footage eight, and you can pick up the ball and stand and bounce it and all of that, right? So after the 1990 World Cup, the 1992, he couldn't pick the ball up. So goalkeeping had completely changed. 
So he, so the ball was coming back and he had to kick it. It's amazing the amount of goalkeepers who were great in the 80s when you get to the early 90s and they couldn't pick the ball up. They, they were howling oh, about yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, so it, when did that rule change? 90, 91, 92, I'm not 100% really? sure. Uh, See, it changed after Italia 90. It changed after Italia 90. To so is that not bad? I don't know football without a pass-back, without pass-back being a rule. That is utterly strange. That is it. Like, I, I do not know football without that being the rule. You can't do that. Aye. What? That is mad. That is mad. And I think that's one of the reasons that the games are a lot slower when you have a look at the 80s and that they could pass the ball back to the goalkeeper. I remember Dundee United coming to Celtic Park and they would just pass the ball back to Hamish McAlpine for if they could get away with it for 90 minutes. That was... Did the rule cause controversy at the time? I can't really remember. I would be, I would be, no. I'd be playing tricks on my mind if I say that it did cause controversy at the time. Um, but it was. But did you look at you look at big changes that happen in the game, like VAR obviously being the most recent one in modern times, and you look at when Sands getting like um, sort of trialed and sort of phased into the sport, like it's going to cause like aggro, and there's going to be purists or whatever they say, oh, that's not right. And I can imagine something like Passback because of it's such a game changer of a rule when you think about it. Like, it's a huge difference. You're, you are changing the sport in a way with that rule. So, I would have been interesting. I, I didn't realise it was recent as 92. I really I'm didn't. Sh- I'm sure it probably did, but as I say, I can't remember it. No, I, yeah, I, I, I can't remember if it did or not. But guys like Bonner who have been playing for the 70s, yeah, like, that's like Dave Besson. I always remember him trying to kick a ball when he was, and he was like, a, he was like a fool. I like trying to go. He was like, oh no, they've passed the ball back to me. I need to try and do something with it. Like, what am I doing? But like Craig Gordon. <laughs> but Craig Gordon's a strange one. I mean, because he he would have been a young goalkeeper when the rule changed. So why you never mm. comfortable with? It, I, I I never know. Uh, that's it's a it's a bizarre one. Mick McCarthy as well. Uh, a Facebook user comes in and, and Mick McCarthy's quote: "Never seen a striker score for Rose Ed." That was Big Mick's rule. <laughs> that was always his rule. And Ars Duke eight one nine nine says Clough was slating Big Mick pre-match, and that's true. Brian Clough says he never rated the big Yorkshireman. At the back for the Republic of Ireland. That's a very, very bad Brian Clough impression, by the way. <laughs> uh, I, I thought we'd try I thought get it was there, Mick McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, Strange Off the Doctor comes in when we're actually talking about the passback rule, and he says the passback rule forced teams to push right on top of the teams playing it, so it wasn't all bad. As you say, you will you you do not know football before the pass back rule. So this sort of press that you mm-hmm. see now, I mean that's that sometimes didn't happen. That really didn't. Obviously, the guys tried to charge the goalkeepers before they picked the ball up and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the keeper would have it at his feet, going, "Ah, you come to me because I'm time wasting, eh?" And do you 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 also remember the six second rule? Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, that's, is that still in place? I don't think it is. I'm not. I, I think it is. I think it's the just nobody actually like cares. Do you know what else is funny about goalkeepers uh, Bonners era, right? Is the amount of times he used to bounce the ball. <laughs> <laughs> what was all that about? Just bouncing the ball all the time. 
You never see that now. Goalies just kind of be bouncing the ball all the time. Oh, you're gonna see it. Oh, no. and, uh, sometimes you see it if you get some mad Eastern European goalkeeper, he'll bounce the ball and it looks... It look, it's the same with goalie, goalies in grey tracky bottoms. You don't see goalies in tra- grey tracky bottoms <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the Karim, he was the last Celtic goalie I remember. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Crystal Palace goalkeeper always had the grey jobby catch. <laughs> he always had the grey jobby catch. Um, <laughs> I'm having a look here. State of mind, producer Paul comes in. John Lukic suffered for the back partial. He did. Big Lukic. He, he was it. Arsenal, wasn't he? And Leeds. Arsenal and Leeds, aye. Uh, Bonner also played along with Latchford, that's true. Uh, I'm just trying to see if there's any other goalkeepers getting named. Uh, Besson, Dave Besson was another one I remember who couldn't handle it. And do Paul's came in with do Paul came in with John Lukage. I big Lukage didn't like it either, eh? Theo uh, Schnelders used to wear the trackies. That's right. But they, they were they were they were good jobs. They, they had padded knees and all that. They, they oh, were, they? Aye, they were they, 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 they were like padded knees and stuff like that. Oh, Snelders was a decent goalkeeper until he signed for Rangers. Then I did. Then, then obviously, <laughs> we can, obviously we can change that. Eh? And it's it's a, a great time. And when you have a look at all the footage in that, this was the birth of the Irish Republic as a nation for me. As a footballing nation, folks started taking them serious as a footballing nation after this tournament. Uh, and you, you look at the you look at the the YouTube footage and that even Irish fans have said that this was the birth for them as a footballing yep. nation. And there was a bit of pride about the, the Irish nation at that point mm-hmm. after being so many years in, in the in the doldrum. Jung, Jungle Lion comes in and says it was the start of the Celtic Tiger. And and Jungle Line mm-hmm. uh, is probably right with that. Eh? And for me, it's the start of the link of my generation between Celtic and the Republic of Ireland. Mm-hmm. It, it was the first time that guys my age started identifying themselves as Irish. They, mm-hmm. were, quite, they, were, they were quite happy to go, I'm supporting the Republic of Ireland because my great-grandfather was for Donegal. Right. and stuff like that then when you go to Italia 90 and you get beat off Costa Rica you find yourself the following day I'm no Scottish I'm Irish because because they're getting through and Scotland they're getting Scotland they're getting pumped off Costa Rica eh? it's, it was a great tournament and it's one of the tournaments as well some facts about the tournament there was only eight teams in it there was only eight teams. there was only two groups two groups of four what? Top, top two top two qualified and went to, the semi, went to the semi-finals. There was no sending-offs in the tournament at all. Well, with only eight teams, it's more believable than, than this, I thought it would have been. This is before UEFA started letting everybody in to, to try and make more money. Uh, I think that started in Euro 96. I think they increased uh, the, number of, the number of teams in it, but I'll need to actually check that. Jay Lee comes in. Gordon Marshall was a nightmare on the pass back. Really, Gordon Gordon Marshall was a nightmare on a lot of things, and the pass backs just at the bottom of that list. We discussed him two weeks ago, didn't we? Aye, we did. We did. Uh, there was no sending offs. There was no no score draws. There was no extra time, and there was no penalty kicks in that tournament. Wow. 
But that tournament was done and dusted in three weeks. It started on the 11th of June and finished before July. So that that was a... You had to basically win your group to qualify for that tournament and the host nation qualified for the tournament automatically at that point. Other things, if we we want to go political, it was the last Euros where West Germany appeared because they were unified by the the time Euro 92 came through. It was the last tournament that the USSR appeared. Of course. The last Euros. And it was also the last tournament that Yugoslavia appeared. Of course, of course. The the political change of the 90s. And it was also the setting summer of love for all of us that were in the acid house. I was a bit young, but it was the setting summer of love. So... So talking about the summer of love, we're going to move on to the Happy Mondays. We're going to move on to the music. Mm-hmm. Again, you're one at this point, so you're a, a, so you're not really listening to the music. But I'm going to tell you what was number one at the time, because you'll probably actually know it. So the number one in the charts of the week of the Republic Island against England on June the 12th, Euro 1998, was Doctor and the Tardis by the Time Lords. Do you know the song? No. No. Basically, it was the KLF who done a disco version of the Doctor Who theme tune by sampling a Gary Glitter song. Uh-huh. So, completely, if you've never heard it, go and, go and YouTube it. It's basically they made up this song because they says pop music's disposable. And they made this song called Doctor and the Tardis, and it was done by, and they says it was sung by the Time Lord, and the Time Lord is a car. So the Time Lord, the, the Time Lord is the name of the car, and there's a car on the front of it, and the car was on the stage when they done it on top of the pops, where it's mm-hmm. it gone up and down. And they wrote a book called How to, How to Have a Number One Single. And they based Bye, it on... Man. And they based it on making this. They based it on making this song. It's a great book. You should read it. Me and you should actually try it. See if we can come up with a number one single. Why similar, not, mate? Similar as a formula that you just follow. Follow the recipe, mate. You follow, you follow the recipe. At number two was "I Owe You Nothing" by Bros. No, I mean just no. No, no. You can the song though, eh? I know. I know a few Bros songs. You, you know, it's one of those. One of those acts used to come on like VH1 and that. If I was up early enough to get this the Sky remote, it'd be on like uh, pop up video and that. Remember pop up oh, video? Yes. I used to tell you the interesting facts about all the songs. They'd always feature on it. Rubbish. Mm-hmm. Uh, at number seventeen, all Celtic fans remember this song because of that summer. It was perfect by Fairground Attraction. Mm-hmm. If you talk to Celtic players, they say that was that was an anthem for them in the in the dressing room and, oh. a, and a lot of Celtic fans remember that song as well they associate it with the, the, the centenary double they, they associate it with the centenary double oh, gee, that's pretty cool I get it Aye. so the album chat number one was a compil- a soul compilation album called Night Flight again not, not too haven't heard it at all number two in the charts was an Irish band called Hot House Flowers with people. Now, I would call Hot House Flowers a, a one-hit wonder. They had a song called Don't Go. You've probably heard Don't Go. Uh, and they were, I think they were massive. I think they were massive in America and they were massive in Ireland. They, they were number two. So when we were looking at this, Russell, when we were looking at the album chat, 
I really did think we were going to do pop. I really did think we were going to do this. The album that was number seven in the charts that week popped and sold out. Be wet, wet, wet. I thought we were going to have a look at that, but we decided to sack that. We weren't going to do them, eh? Too, too right. And we were going to. So, because you were only one at the time, we kind of changed tack. And I says, right, we'll give you an album to listen to for that time. And even though I was 12, the album that I picked was Bummed by the Happy Mondays, which didn't come out till later in 1988. But it's my show. I can change the rules all I want. You're right, Kev. You're I, I right. I can change the rules all I want. It came out in 1988. It came out in 1988. And I was talking about the, the setting, uh, the setting Summer of Love. This album was recorded six weeks in uh, July, August of that year. And the Happy Mondays have been quoted to say they turned up to the studio with 200 ecstasy tablets and they necked them on 10 days and sent their manager back to Manchester to get 100 mayor for the six-week recording process. Eh? So they say this is the first of our album recorded solely on E. It was produced by a guy called Martin Hannett. Now, Hannett is a famous producer. And... Uh, he was an alcoholic. So the Mondays, in their wisdom, decided to save him drinking. They just fed him exodus tablets to stop him drinking so he could produce this album. And this album is an utter thing of beauty. This, for me, this is one of... And I'm not, I'm, not going to, I, I'm not going to, like, say I listened to it when I was 12, because I did that. <laughs> because I did not. At 12, we were still... The charts were still our big hangs when I was 12, eh? So I didn't hear this album, eh, like... As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I started getting into the, the NME in 1990, 91, and I must admit, Sean Ryder scared the living daylights out of me. The Happy Mondays scared the living daylights out of me because they just looked like somebody would tax your motor. It would steal your Joe Bloggs flares. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, but when you go back and you listen to this album, you go, how can a gang of Scallies in 1988 produce this Sound of Manchester, which sounds like nothing that you've ever heard before. Kieran comes in, watch 24-hour party people Russell good crash course. It mm. has, this album is has got a groove for the first minute to the last minute. And it's got Sean Ryder, who you've got to remember is one of the greatest poets I think that this world has ever produced. Left school at 13 to go and work on a building site. He's not an educated guy, but he's an utter genius lyrically. An absolute utter genius lyrically. What do you think of the Mondays generally? Because obviously you're you you would have picked up on them later. Aye, one of those bands that uh, there was a guy. Remember, I told you at the pub. He was like he was like sort of he did like he did the cleaning in the morning, but he did a few shifts as well for us as well each week, like the day shifts and that. And he liked a every and that, but he was like he would always be on the jukebox once he'd finished his work. Do you know what I mean? And playing like and sort of try to tell me the backdrop to a lot of songs. And Aye. the Mondays used to feature pretty heavily so I did know that obviously they had a huge a huge part to play um, in the music scene at that time the one I always liked by them was uh, WFL what is it what 
Rope for life. Rope for luck. Walk for life. <laughs> Shut up, boys. Get off the stage, mate. <laughs> Rope for luck. That's it. Walk for life. Honestly, just sack me, man. Uh, Rope for luck. Uh, that tune, I love the bass line in that tune. That's very good. The one that you'll probably, the Rope for luck that you probably know is the remix Paul Oakenfold version. The the version on right. this album is a lot more. Um, what can I say? Raw. It's not as techno. So you've you've got you've got the famous uh, video where they're in the the nightclub in Manchester, and mm-hmm. it's on in the background. And riders just stand at the bar mouthing along to the <laughs> song. It was filmed in one take with Bez dancing in the background and all of that. Eh? But that's a, I think it's the Paul Oakenfold remix that it's actually played. And that was released, I think, a couple of years after it was on this album. Right, okay. There's a lot of songs ended up remixed from this album when it got right. when Mad Chester sort of, like, exploded. Mad Cyril was remixed. Rope for Luck was remixed. Lazyitis was remixed. Also, Hallelujah, which was a standalone single. Yeah, I know that. Ended up ended up being packaged on this album when it was re-released, even though it was a even though it was an EP. I just see when I went back and listened to this, I'm going, how can you produce that in 1988? How can you actually? It's a song. It's a, it's an album that when you look at the band, you go, they would never produce something as soulful, as funky, as generation defining as they did. With, with mm-hmm. this album, eh? I mean, there's for me, there's a massive fall influence in it because it sometimes it sounds like it sounds like two houses. The bands are playing the the bass and the drum are at a completely different time for the guitar and the keyboards, and it, it, there's a big massive fall influence. But we, me and Paul got this confirmed. Have you ever listened to early Simple Minds? Like no. simple minds. Before simple minds went all oh, breakfast club, don't you forget about being down at the waterfront and all that. Mm-hmm. Listen to the early simple simple minds albums, and there's a happy. You can see where the Happy Mondays got an influence with. Wow. So, so we asked Clint Boone when we interviewed Clint Boone if early simple minds were an influence on the early Mondays, because you've got to remember the Mondays were formed in the early 80s when simple mm-hmm. minds were, were kicking about, and he says Clint Boone told us that simple minds were massive in Manchester, and you can hear a simple minds influence on, mm-hmm. on this album. That is interesting, isn't it? So go back everybody and listen to the first couple of simple minds albums. They're fantastic. Forget, huh? about, forget about what the... Uh, don't you forget? I don't 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 you forget about me and all that. Forget about that. Listen to the listen to their early stuff when they were, when they were post punk. There's a hefty you can see for the Happy Mondays, especially the the rhythm section got a lot of the got a lot of their uh, wow got a lot of their influence from. Sean Ryder for me is a genius. Sean Ryder is an absolute genius, and he maybe doesn't actually get a lot of the credit he deserves because of basically his chaotic lifestyle that he's had since mm. then. But for me, he's a poet, a, an absolute pure poet. And he should actually release a book of his lyrics written uh-huh. in poetry form because he's, he's an icon, he's a musical icon. He's up there with Marquis Smith for the fall. As someday it's a national treasure and he should be seen as such. Fair enough, Kev. I like that. I think that's a glowing endorsement, mate. 
Oh, I love, I love. I mean, I mean, it's one of the things that Ryder. I was a big Roses fan, and it wasn't mm-hmm. until later on that I realised how out in front the Mondays actually were. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's a lot. There's a lot of bands who try to do what the Mondays do, done, mm-hmm. but the bottom line is they didn't have Sean Ryder. They didn't have Paul Ryder on bass. They didn't have Gaz Whelan on the drums. You couldn't copy what the Mondays done. That mm-hmm. five guys what the Mondays had a chemistry. It could, mm-hmm. and folk tried to be the Mondays, and folk tried to be Sean Ryder ways like, surely uh, stream of consciousness. But you're just gone. You're just a pure, poor Sean Ryder. Is this mm-hmm. the amount of folk that try to be Marky Smith? No, you can't be Marky Smith. There's only one Marky Smith. There's only one Sean Ryder, and you, you couldn't actually do that. And the amount of bands that tried and failed to be like the Happy Mondays, that's the, the list. They've got a list as long as this kitchen. There's only that's one. That's always a backhanded compliment, though, isn't it? You know, if bands are trying to imitate you, that that is because you you know you've got the respect. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. John Duncan comes in and he, he's got a, he's got a picture of uh, Ian Curtis as he as his avatar. Uh, he's commenting on YouTube: "Empires and dance be simple minds." Yes. Go and listen to empires and dance be simple. Empire and empires and dance be simple minds. I tell you, and you'll and you'll go like that. Wait a minute, that's that's that sounds like the Mondays. It really does. It really does. Russell, what's your album? So I went a wee bit different, very different, in fact, from the Happy Mondays. But obviously, we were doing any album in uh, 1988. I mean, I was going through, and there was a few sort of more obvious ones. Well, this is still pretty obvious. I mean, you can't get me bigger than these names, but The Travelling Wilburys, Volume 1. Now, Barry, who's features quite heavily on my Twitter feed, he's, I think he's a stolen boy as well, Barry. Um, nice guy. And he, he sort of commented quite a few times about music and stuff. And funnily enough, I shared a video by... I don't know, have you seen the Frenchman who does the videos these days? Like, yes. It's just him playing all the instruments. Daniel oh. Sahin, he is fantastic. So he did... I tried the Mulberry song last week, which I shared, and Barry had commented saying, this has inspired me to listen to the Travelling Mulberries Volume 1 again. What an album. So when I seen that appear on the list of 1988 albums, I thought, do you know what? The stars have collided here. I was meant to meant to listen to this album, and, and me and Barry have a lot of similar sort of uh, takes on music, well, from what I've seen from his, his post. So... Gave that a blast yesterday. Scorching day, Kev. Went a big long walk around the woods. Had it blaring with my new Dolby setting turned on my Android phone, which I recommend to anyone. What a difference that makes, by the way. Unbelievable. I think it's Dolby Atmos. It's in your audio settings. If you've got an Android phone, turn it on. Make sure you turn it on. At my Marshall headphones, the cable had broke. So mm-hmm. I was using like, uh, like you know, like just like the, 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 head, the earphones that come with your phone when you get it. Aye. And I swear the sound off them was unbelievable, sir. For like the just the standard Samsung earphones, you didn't expect much, do you? See that with the Dolby thing turned on, night and day, like it's amazing. So anyway, did, did you say it was an app? It's well, I thought it was an app, but it turns out it's in your settings on Android. Oh, if right. you just go into your settings, audio settings, Dolby Atmos is in the audio bit. Turn it on, and the difference is honestly night and day. And we, we, didn't, we didn't want to hawk ourselves out or anything like that, but if anybody wants to see, send us decent decent headphones to listen to music on, they're wearing well. We'll, we'll road test them and give you a review. 
Aye, absolutely. I like that, Kev. Never miss an opportunity, big man. I like that. Um, so I walk in the sun and I thought, you know what? It's time to fire that album on. I was in a good mood, you know what I mean? It was like sunshine. It's just brilliant, man. It was roasting the So anyway, put on the album and boom, it starts with the song that I knew the best out of them all, Handle With Care, which to me is just a classic track, right? End of story. I love it. And then you're obviously sort of having to be nosy at the track listing to see if there's anything else. I recognise End of the Line as well. But in between that, you can really tell the difference between the songwriters. I mean, what a super group the names this was as well. You know, Bob Dylan, Jeff Lynne, who I think apparently the rest of them credited as being the genius of a lot of them. Jeff Lynne of ELO fame. Uh, Tom Petty, Roy Orbison. Who's the other one? George Harrison. George. Oh, he was in the Beatles. It was just the Beatles he was in, eh? It was George Harrison's band, mate. It was, was it? It was him that came up with the idea. I got the vibe that they very much share it all out anyway. Do you know what I mean? It was George Harrison got them together, got them together. It was George Harrison's idea. Basically, yeah. George Harrison had recorded with Jeff Lynn on a solo album and he needed a B-side and he was out for dinner with, I think it was Petty and Orb- Orbison. And, wow. he says, and he says, come on, or was it? I can't remember the story anyway. And then they ended up... No, Lynn and Orbison were out on were out for dinner with Harrison, and he needed a B side. And he says he says to Roy, "Come down to the studio and we'll work on this B side." Mm-hmm. They couldn't get a studio, so they went to Bob Dylan's home studio, and Bob Dylan was there. And Harrison had to go and borrow a guitar off Tom Petty, and that's how Petty ended up. And they recorded oh. and they recorded what was a handle with care. Yeah. And the, the record company went, "That's too good." And Harrison came up with the idea, let's be a band. Form a super group, aye. Let's be a super group. The vibe I get listening to the album start to finish, which I did twice yesterday, was it actually just sounds like they probably all maybe just got a wee bit sick of their careers or it was just, this was just fun. And I think that shines through in the album that it was musicians maybe going, this is just different from what we're used to now. They've all got crazy fame for doing what, what they're all associated with and all the bands that they're associated with or their solo careers, whatever. And it just seems to me like five guys that have got together just having good times. There's a song though that is very Bob Dylan-esque, which is like Tweeter and the Monkey Man, which mm-hmm. obviously it's sang by Dylan, but that could have been a Bob Dylan track as far as I was concerned. And then the other one, Heading for the Light, I knew straight away it was going to be Jeff Lynne that was going to be heavily involved in that. Could tell by the way the drums are going. I was like, that sounds like ELO. But mm-hmm. you could just hear, you can hear. So it's quite interesting when you listen to it, trying to go, guess who's the main influence on this track? And guess who's, do you know what I mean? But I highly recommend it. Um, certainly there's a few tracks that I liked last night as well. I thought it was really good. It related, could relate that to my life at times. You know, I asked her to marry me. She pulled out a knife. I thought. <laughs> 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 Sounds awfully familiar to me. Um, but I, so I just thought there was a, I thought it was an album, it was a very feel good album. But again, as well with music, uh, Joe, it's funny. I think it often it comes into it is the time and place you first hear tunes. And I just think yesterday was just a great day out in the sun and it was like, they could have been singing. We hate Russell Boyce. Do you know what I mean? Like that's all they could have been singing. And no, we can't, we, we, can't, we can't sing that. <laughs> no, 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 no,
<laughs> I wasn't even after oh, God. I just meant like they could be singing like anything that was slagging me off. And I would have still went, tune. Do you know what I mean? It was just uh, just uh, one of those like <laughs> times and uh, times and places when you first hear songs, you can associate like just with good vibes. You know what I mean? I think yesterday what I'm trying to say is the songs could all have been rubbish and I'd have probably liked them anyway, but the songs are good. And I highly recommend Travelling Wilburys Volume 1 if you're in a feel-good mood, sunny day, put a bit of straw in your mouth, go a country stroll, you'll be loving life, man. Or put anything else that you want to put in your mouth. <laughs> oh, to, to smoke. You <laughs> don't need to even stroll. Other, 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 oh, other. I know what you mean. It's <laughs> <laughs> Scott Bain again. Me, me, me and goalkeepers are completely finished. Me and goalkeepers are completely finished. Um, I'll, I'll, before we wrap up, I'll go, I'll go into some of the... Yes. Comments. You and boy Martin, Kev, I take it you're not a fan of Acid House. I like Acid House now, but at the time I, I was I was bypassing it. As I say, I was only twelve at the time. <laughs> uh, so I wasn't going to all night raves at the Foo Bar and, and <laughs> travelling about in a Ford Capri trying to find somebody in a field with a sound system. <laughs> uh, that, that was that wasn't me. I mean and you can you're talking about Jeff Lynn there, eh? Uh, Telephone line BLO that appeared on my Spotify the other day because James Allen from Las Vegas has got a playlist and telephone line BLO is on it. And what a song that is! Actually, oh, yeah, uh, uh, that's a fantastic tune, as you say. It's the Sonics, the, the whole way it builds and it drops and that. Eh? And been you look at the Wilburys as well, they didn't really get a chance because the big O died in December that year. He, he died in December 1988. So their next album, Volume 3, didn't have the big O on it. And there was a rumour that they were going to replace the big O with, I think it was Dale Shannon was one of them. Oh, uh, right, okay. And Roger McGinn was the other one. that They reckoned that they were going to, but they, but they says that they couldn't do it. They says it's that, interesting uh, as well, because they've all got these individual, like recognisable sort of traits and features, do you know what I mean? And I think, uh, I think to be honest with you, I'm obviously, I'm not, I can't play an instrument, right? So I'm always about, like listening to vocals, I love singers and that, you know what I mean? And there's no two ways about it, that Handle With Care comes alive when Orbison's vocal hits. Do you know what I mean? See when it comes into his wee bit, I'm so tired of feeling lonely, whatever, and he's just got that sort of haunting vocal, man, it's like, I don't know, you know it, you're in a tune by that. By, by that stage, but definitely, what a singer, man. Definitely. Eh? Um, Scott Howe comes in eh, with the, the Wolverines after eh, the big old passed away. They had a video, the next video that they'd done, had the empty rocking chair with his guitar on it as he, as he sung on the song. Eh? It's very, very touching. It's one of the moments, it's up there with the Hurt video by Johnny Cash. That's, That's a classic move, that. Aye. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really, it's, it's a touching moment. Uh, so, I think that's enough for this week, Russell. Uh, an hour and nine minutes. We went back to 1988, the setting summer of love. Uh, so, we'll be hoping that the, what's this summer? 2021, the summer of the full COVID vaccine. The, 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 the summer of Pfizer. Mm. <laughs> AstraZeneca. The summer of AstraZeneca. Uh, so, everybody, again, it's been great. Great patter in the in the comments. Remember, give us a wee like. Uh, tell your pals about us. 
and subscribe. There's loads subscribe of great subscribe and all that. Carry there's, on. There's loads of great stuff on on the channel. And as we usually sign off, we just calm down, eh? Keep it calm, calm lads, eh? Down. Calm down. See you later. <laughs>